Well, God bless you. You can be seated. I didn't know verse 3 was about the coronavirus, but no chilling winds nor poisonous breath <laughs> can reach that healthful shore. We've all been wearing these masks, you know, for so long, different places, and uh, everybody's afraid of the poison, of the poison breath. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Genesis chapter 29, Genesis chapter 29, and I want to talk to you about family failures. We're in this section of Jacob's life where he has gone to get a wife from his mother's people. But he's met with some frustrating events there, some frustrating events. He went quite a long journey back to where his mother was from, back to the house of her brother Laban. Uh, Jacob's mom was named Rebekah. She was married to to, uh, Isaac, and she bore Isaac twin sons, twin sons. One of those sons was named Esau, one was named Jacob, and Jacob and Esau They had a falling out over the family inheritance, and Jacob had to leave town after he he and his mother had deceived his father and given him a blessing and not given it to Esau, which is all part of God's plan, obviously. We know it was because what Scripture says about it. Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. Romans telling us that God chose Jacob before the children were born, neither one having done good or evil. So God, this is all part of God's purpose, God's plan. When Jacob arrived... Where his mother was from, he saw a beautiful girl named Rachel. Beautiful girl named Rachel. And so he went back to her house. He found out that she was his cousin. And that meant that he could marry her because that's who he had gone back to marry, was to marry somebody from his mother's household. When he got there, he talked to his uncle Laban. He meets him for the first time in his life. And his uncle, after spending a month there, his uncle says, Hey, if you're going to work for me and you're my my kinfolk, I might as well pay you. What do you want for wages for working for me? And Jacob said the most romantic thing you can imagine, sisters. He said, I'll give you seven years of my life if you'll give me Rachel. Seven years of his life for the bride, for Rachel. Laban, who was a cruel and treacherous man, says, okay, I'll do it. So he takes Jacob, and Jacob works for him for seven years. And in verse 21 of chapter 29... Jacob comes and says to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go in unto her. And Laban, and Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his other daughter, and brought her to him, and he went in unto her. And Laban gave unto his daughter Leah Zilpah his maid for a handmaid. And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah and Jacob goes back to Laban and says, What is it that thou hast done unto me? Did not I serve thee for Rachel? Wherein, wherefore, then hast thou beguiled me, or fooled me, or tricked me? And Laban said, You know, we got a custom around here. We don't give the younger daughter before we give the firstborn daughter. Fulfill her week, and we will give you also for the service which thou shalt serve me yet seven other years. You'll get Rachel. Jacob did so, fulfilled her week, and he gave him Rachel, his daughter, to wife also. And Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter, Bilhah, his handmaid, to be her maid. And he went in also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and he served with him yet seven other years. So Jacob makes a deal for one wife, one girl, gets tricked, 
and winds up with a different girl. He goes back and says, you know, you gave me the wrong one. Laban says, there's no returns. <laughs> you got to keep her. But he got Rachel in the end. He got Rachel in the end. And then in verse 31, interesting reading here. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bare a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Rachel, I mean, Leah wants to be loved. And she conceived again and bare a son and said, Because the Lord hath heard that I was hated, he hath therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And she conceived again and bare a son and said, Now this time will my husband be joined unto me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore was his name called, called Levi. And she, and she conceived again and bare a son. And she said, Now will I, will I praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah and left bearing. She stopped having children for a time. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word. Family failures. In this picture, this is, uh, you know, some guy drew this picture, but the man with the bald head is Laban. The man with the nice head of hair is Jacob. And this picture was striking to me because uh, when Laban first met Jacob, he was really happy to have him around. And you can kind of see Jacob, the look on his face is kind of incredulous. <laughs> Looks like looks like Laban's really laying it on thick, but Jacob's giving the old the kind. Well, he's giving the look that you give to a used car salesman, right? You go into car lot, you know you're you're scared to go. You're scared to go look at the new year models, aren't you? I am because you drive through the parking lot and you you're, you're always watching for a salesman. They run out there and they want to sell you a car, and I mean you don't want to. You're not interested in buying. You're just looking. You're just looking around. So this is kind of the look that Jacob seems to be giving Laban. Family failures. And let's talk about family stuff for a little bit. Family. Families can be wonderful, can't they? And they can be awful. A family can be the greatest source of joy in your life or one of the greatest sources of sorrow in your life, just depending on the way things go. Sorrow. When God made a man in the garden, he he made a woman also and gave her to Adam. And let's talk about that. That's where the family unit begins. It begins with a man and his wife. And it's often said that the first, that the three divinely ordained institutions that God has put on the earth for the, for the well-being of mankind are the home, human government, and the church. And this institutional trinity began, however, it began with the home first. And both of the other institutions, both the church and human government, neither one could exist if there were not families, if there were not men and women coming together and producing children and raising them and educating them. There couldn't be a church. There couldn't be a government. There couldn't be a country, a community, or a nation without a home of some kind. Of all the institutions in the world, the one that's the most attacked is the home is the home. The home is under constant attack. Friends, it is at home where we can get the greatest joy and the greatest pain. And that is why we know that the home is under attack. 
marriages are under attack. Satan wants nothing more than to divide a man and his wife, to get them apart, to tear them apart from one another. He wants to wreck and ruin it, and he will do it if he can. And then you have this other dynamic in the home. You have parents and children. And Satan wants children to be separated, torn away from their parents. I don't mean removed from their home. I mean Satan wants the parents to hate the kids and the kids to hate the parents. That's what Satan wants. And he works at it. That's why we're so easily offended sometimes in our homes because Satan is at work. He wants to ruin our our families. Now just... Because of the culture in which we live and the way times are, this has to be said, a proper definition of what a a home or a family is. An authentic home is one where a biological male has been married to a biological female. That's what a home is. A home is not composed of a man and a man, and a woman and a woman. That's not a marriage. Well, let me change my word there. In the eyes of the state, and the civil authorities, that is a marriage. That's, that's a marriage in the eyes of the state. But it doesn't mean that it's right. doesn't mean that it's right. doesn't mean that it's godly. Just because the state affirms something does not mean that it's the right way to do something. It's wrong. It's wrong. This is a, this is a, a painful topic because the way the world is, there's more and more of this kind of thing. Whenever I go down and pick up Matt at the elementary school when he's getting off the bus, I see it. Same-sex couples there to pick up their kid. And their kids are just as normal as mine. <laughs> just as cute and lovable as, as my kids are. And those, and those two people probably have the same intentions for their homes as I do. They just want to put a roof over the kid's head and food in the refrigerator, and keep them healthy and happy. And it, it, it has so many marks of normality to it. But it's still not the right way to be. It's still not right. It's still sinful. It's still in violation of God's order. We can say that it, this is God's definition for the home because the Bible's clear. When God made man, he gave to him a wife. The old, you used to hear these old slogans. You see them on signs sometimes. It was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. You guys remember seeing signs like that? And that's, that's, a true, that's a true maxim. It was a man and a woman. That's the right form of a home. You say, well, what about these people who feel these certain ways about it? What about men who are attracted to men and women who are attracted to women? They're sinners. Are you attracted to anything sinful? <laughs> are you? I mean, do you you ever want to smash somebody's head just because they've pushed you too far? Have you ever wanted to take your car and use it as a a dangerous weapon? (laughs) You ever had somebody, when I was a teenager, I don't don't know why it was a big deal, but it's maybe riding your tail in your car. You know, they're they're, they're tailgating. You ever hit the brake, give them a brake check, (laughs) get them back? One of my friends was doing that one night. He He was being tailgated by somebody. And he, at a stoplight, he opened the door of his car, leaned out, and waved a pistol at him and said, back off! I mean, people are crazy, aren't they? Did I say he was my friend? He was Valerie's friend. (laughs) We are tempted to sin, my friends. 
These peoples, we look at them, they are sinners. They're sinners. What do they need? They don't need a lesson on biblical morality. Well, they might need some instruction on it. But what they need to know most is they need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And it only comes through the gospel. Don't let yourself become so irritated and angry at the messed up lives of the people around you, around you that you don't preach the gospel. You've got to give them the gospel. That's what they need to hear. To hear some things about Jesus. To hear about the grace of God. They need Christ. They need Christ. God made Adam. In the garden, he gave Adam a wife. And then God gave to Adam dominion over creation. And God brought to Adam all the animals to see what Adam would name these name the animals. And that was a picture of the dominion God had given to Adam. You see, if I give you a dog, who gets to name it? You do. It's yours. And God gave to Adam all of creation. And Adam got to name everything. That's a sign of the dominion that Adam had over the earth. Man still has that kind of dominion over the earth. And then God decided that Adam needed somebody because none of the other creatures he had made suited Adam. So God made a woman for Adam. The Bible says he made her from Adam's rib. And then, my friends, for a while, we don't know how long, but for a while, Adam and Eve, they had the whole world to themselves. Just one man and one woman had the run of everything. And it was a glorious thing, a perfect world, just the two of them, able to run around and do whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted, for as long as they wanted, without ever having to pay the tab. (laughs) One infinite vacation, you might say. They had work to do, labors to keep in the garden, but what 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 a world to live in. What a world to live in. You see, that was a home. Adam and Eve, the first home. You see, the home was the only human institution that existed both before the fall and after the fall. So Adam, Adam lived for a time with a perfect woman. And Eve lived for a time with a perfect man. And then they fell into sin. They rebelled against God. And then things changed. Now they had to live with what? Imperfect men, imperfect women. Don't you, don't you know they regretted their actions? <laughs> time and time again, regretting their actions. Adam lived in marital perfection with the perfect woman. Then they decided they're going to sin against God. All the scholars usually use the term that they rebelled against God. They rebelled against God. God said, do not eat of this tree. And they said, God, we are not going to listen to you. We are going to disobey you. And they rebelled against God. Satan came and said, eat this and you'll be better off for it. And they believe Satan's lie. But they rebelled against God, believing it was for the best. This is where all rebellion comes from. Rebellion is always connected to this. Well, this is better. This is better. A mom or dad tells their kid, hey, hey, you be back here tonight at 10 o'clock. And the kid says, okay. You got to say okay to get out of the house, don't you? Because it's easier to what? Ask to get forgiveness than permission. Right? And so they say, okay, and they leave the house. And at 9.55, they know they got to get home. 
And one of their friends says, hey, we're going to go over here. We're going to go soap some windows at 10 o'clock. <laughs> you guys ever go soap windows? Rub bars of soap on car windows? <laughs> Everybody's saying no, but I think they really mean yes. <laughs> you know you shouldn't do it, but you believe. You say, oh, what is it? I'm going to rebel against my parents, believing that's the better choice. Believing this is the better course of action. They rebelled against God. Believing it would make them better. That's the thing about temptation. Temptation comes to us. Satan and our flesh, they tell us that the best choice of action is to not obey God. This says the best thing for you to do is to not obey God. Sin is presented as the justifiable act. It's presented to us as a an activity, an action that will open doors to us. Satan said in Genesis 3, 5 to Adam and Eve, he said, if you guys eat this forbidden fruit, you will be as gods. It'll be better for you. Listen, my friends, I want to say to you, all the temptations to sin in the world, sin says there's great pleasure here. Sin says there's a lot of great stuff here. Sin says your life will be better over here, but it won't. It'll be better for a little while. The pleasures of sin are for a season, but they don't last. They don't last. And the result of their rebellion against God was it damaged them. It damaged them. The harmony in their family between Adam and Eve was disrupted. And now they have conflict with each other. They blame one another for stuff. They become self-reliant. They try to create their own little religion with the fig leaves. Instead of looking to God for forgiveness and salvation. And then when Adam and Eve had kids, their kids inherited the sin nature from their parents. And their kids became wicked. We know at least one of them was really wicked because his name was Cain. And he did not worship according to God's plan, according to God's instruction. He saw his brother worshiping God. He saw how God responded to his brother. And Cain was so angry, he was so jealous, so envious of how God was treating Abel, that while they're out in the field, maybe they met up for lunch. You know, Cain was a farmer, Abel's a herdsman. And I, I could see him meeting up at the, where the where I could see him meeting up at a corner under a big oak tree, sitting on a rock, opening up their lunches, sitting there talking about it. And Cain. I can see Cain saying, Abel, God won't accept my offering. God likes you better than he likes me. And Abel says, well, I don't think it's got anything to do with liking. I just did the right thing. And you're doing the wrong thing. And my friends, when you tell somebody that they're doing the wrong thing, when you tell somebody they're wrong, you know how they respond to that? They get awful ticked off. They don't like it. You know how it is down at your workplace, at your job. You tell one of your coworkers, hey, you're doing that wrong. Well, they say, who made you boss? You ain't the boss of me. Who died and made you God? Man, they fly off the handle at you. They don't like to be corrected. Mind your own business, you see. Old, older sister says to her little brother, hey, don't do that. What happens? Well, it just goes great, doesn't it? No, it don't does not. I can see Cain rising up in anger. The Bible says he was wroth 
And he killed his brother. Killed him. Murdered him. And that's why we have family failures. That's why we have this story in the Bible. Family problems. Sin. Sin. Corruption. Selfishness. Unrighteousness. This is why Laban is behaving so badly. The sin nature is why you and I and everyone we know tend to behave so poorly. Dare I say so wickedly. is because of the sin nature that's within us. Laban comes and he says to Jacob, Jacob, sure, you can have Rachel. Work for her seven years. He works for her seven years. And what does he do? He tricks him. Pulls the old switcheroo on him. Changes girls. He said, well, how could that happen? They wore veils back in those days. Who knows what kind of customs they had? Changed on him. Deceived him. And then forces him to stay even longer. Let me say something about families here. Is you don't get to pick who your family is, right? You can pick your friends. You can pick your job. But you don't get to pick who your family is. You don't get to pick who your mom or dad are. That's all done for you by providence. You don't get to choose how you come into the world either. But you've got to deal with them. You've got to deal with your family some way. You've got to deal with them. Here is, here is Jacob who has just become son-in-law to Laban. And he knows that Laban's a crook now. Right? He knows he's a crook. But why does Jacob still hang around there? And why does Jacob try to do the right thing by Laban even after Laban has done him wrong? Why does he do that? Why should we do that? Well, Jacob does it because he seems to have a long-range view of stuff. A long-range view of stuff. He has a perspective on life that's important. Maybe Jacob thought like this. Laban, as bad as he is, he has just given to Jacob two wonderful things. What's he given to him? Daughters. Wives. Proverbs 18.22 says, A man that finds a wife finds a good thing. In another place it says he obtains favor of the Lord. Brothers, if you got a wife, if you got a wife, you got something special. It's a blessing to have a wife. I've had a wife now for 23 years, and she's not here today because she's in North Carolina visiting her sister. And I miss her. I appreciate her. This morning, there was no hand towel hanging up by the sink. (laughs) And I realized what happened was last night, I threw it down where where where, where last place I used it. But Valerie comes along, and she picks it up and puts it back where it's supposed to be. Then I throw it down where it's not supposed to be, and she puts it back where it's supposed to be. I mean, this morning I got up, and usually she makes cinnamon rolls for the kids on Sunday mornings. So she'll, make, she'll make some cinnamon rolls. I had to text her this morning and say, what time do I wake the kids up? <laughs> I mean, I miss her. She's an important, wonderful part of my life for all kinds of reasons. A wife is a blessing. And here Jacob sees this guy who's not that great of a guy, but he has given to him these wives. And so for the sake of the wives, Jacob is nice to Laban, puts up with stuff from Laban. 
because of the wives, because of the daughters. Isn't that why you put up with your in-laws? <laughs> Certainly it is. <laughs> you have to have a different view of people. Number two, Laban, he also gives Jacob an opportunity in business. He's been there seven years. He's going to spend about 20 years with Laban. He gives him an opportunity in business. In Proverbs 14, 23, it says, In all labor there is profit. In all working there is something to be learned or gained. And here, Laban, even though he's not that great of a guy, even though he's a little bit, a little bit sneaky, he gets Jacob into this business, this livestock business. And it becomes a pretty good job for Jacob. Even though Laban jerks him around a few times, it's still a pretty good job. And you know, my friends, I have found that a good job is usually worth putting up with some garbage for. If it's a good job, you'll put up with a bad boss. If it's a good job, you know, got, got security, you'll put up with stuff you wouldn't normally put up with. There was a time in my life I had 13 jobs in one year. 13 jobs in one year. That's a, lot of, that's a job a month, man. Valerie, when she did our taxes that year, she showed me 13 W-2s. <laughs> we moved to Kansas. I've told you this story before, but we moved to Kansas. I got a really good job at a factory, had a supervisor I did not like, and I went home and said, Val, I'm quitting. I ain't taking one more, I ain't taking any more lip from that person down there. And she said to me, she said, Terry, have you ever noticed that every place you work, you always got a bad boss you can't get along with? She said, what's the common denominator there? Well, you know how that made me feel? Like getting a divorce. <laughs> but, she, but she was exactly right. The problem in every one of those jobs was, wasn't the bosses. Now, they weren't all perfect, but it was old Terry Basham. She had 13 W-2s to prove it. So I just hunkered down, put up with the guff, and I made supervisor in short time. I just settled down and did some work. Settled down and just tolerated stuff I didn't really want to do, put up with. Dealt with people I didn't want to deal with. But it was worth it. It was worth it. It was worth it. Jacob, no job is a constant picnic, is it? You can have the best job in the world. There's going to be parts of it that aren't any fun. But Jacob has this different view of life, it seems. Thirdly, Jacob, he's come to Laban after meeting God. In, Genesis, in chapter 28, verse 15, God had said to Jacob, wherever you go, I'm going to be with you, and I'm not going to leave you. And so Jacob goes into this situation, walking by the promise of God, God has said, he's going to be with me. He goes into this situation. It, it's not quite how he wants to be. It doesn't work out the way he wants to work out. There is suffering. There is difficulty. There is hard times there. But he knows God is with him. So he has to live by faith. And you know what it takes to get you to live by faith? You know what it takes? It takes hard times. It takes hard times to cause you to live by faith. If you got everything made in the shade with Kool-Aid... Not much faith is exercised, but when it gets tough, that's when you have to exercise faith. Faith. 
Faith has to be exercised. It has to be put in action. When you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you had to put your faith in Him. And you have to live on in that faith day after day, week after week, month after month. Trusting that it's really going to happen. Have you ever woken up and thought, what if I die today? What if this is my last day? What if something goes awry and I die? Unintentionally, right? It's always unintentionally. What if I die today? Am I really going to go from this world into the presence of Jesus? Am I going to go be with God? Is that hand that I'm trusting in to save me, that Jesus said I'm in his hand and I can never be taken out of it, is it really there? What's it going to be like to have my soul separated from my body and live in that ethereal world? I don't know. So we have to go forward in faith. I'm trusting Jesus. I'm resting in Christ. God has said, believe and live. And I'm believing, so I'm trusting that I will live. Faith has to be exercised. In the Old Testament, God was constantly bringing Israel into places where they had nowhere else to turn but Him. When they went to the Red Sea, they left Egypt. They get to the Red Sea and they're stopped. The Red Sea's in front of them. God has led them to this, this spot. I want you to think about that. When you read the stories of the Exodus, every bad situation Israel experienced, they went there led by God Himself. They went to a place where there was no water, no food. Guess who said go there? God said go there. They went to a place where there was no escape. Their enemies, their enemies are behind them. There's a rock over here, a mountain over here, a sea over here. There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to turn. Who led them there? God did. They went to a place. They, they're going through the desert and they're looking for some water. And they can't find any water. They do find some water. Man, they, they go up to it. They're so happy to find this water. And the first guy runs down there and gets a handful of water and takes a drink of it. And guess what that water is? Bitter, undrinkable, untakeable. Who led him there? God did. It's incredible. God leading them to a place where he has to trust in them. They have to trust in him. Jacob has to walk by faith. Does Jacob know this? I think he has an idea. I think he has an idea. Now I want you to notice lastly, in just a couple minutes, in the midst of frustration, God blesses Jacob and begins to build the great family that will become the nation of Israel from Jacob. It's in verses 31 to 35. Leah, the wife who is unwanted, unloved, and unchosen, Jacob does not want her, but it's from her that he gets children. I want you to think about something. Who chose who chose Leah to be Jacob's wife? God did. God said, this is who I want you to marry. It, was, it, 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 wasn't, the, it wasn't the smoothest thing. It wasn't the way they, he wanted it to go, but that's what happened. That was the one God wanted him to have. And she has, he has four sons. The first two, their names are, are kind of out of our mind, Reuben and Simeon. But these last two sons, Levi and Judah, are very important. Very important. It's worth mentioning that these two sons of Leah are the two fathers of the faith, you might say. 
It is from Leah's womb that Levi, the priestly people, that tribe comes from, and from Judah that the royal tribe comes from. Leah is the great mother of Moses, whose name appears in the Bible hundreds of times. Leah is the mother of David, who gives us the Psalms, and to whom was given the promise of an eternal kingdom, David. This comes from Leah. Leah is the great mother of Jesus our Savior. One of her descendants is who has brought into the world the Savior himself. It's interesting how God is working these things out. You see, Jacob has followed God, followed him forward. He's been taken care of by God. And even the failures and disappointments that he's going through are a part of God's plan for Jacob's future greatness, the difficulties. You say, well, okay, that's good for Jacob. What about me? Listen to these things finally. Number one, live by the promises of God. Take God's promises into your mind. Take up his word. Dwell upon what God says in his word. Find the promises and cling to them. And secondly, trust God because you know he can be trusted. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean into your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. It's not in man to know his own ways. It's not in man to know his own ways. We have to trust in the Lord. Even in the rough patches, number three. In the rough times, that's where God sustains us and helps us in the rough patches. And fourthly, I'll say this to you. If you're mad at life right now, if you're mad at life in God, if you're mad at the way God is causing things to work out in your life, it's not causing you maximum comfort, if it's causing you to have loss and sacrifice, if you're mad at God about it, i got two things to say to you. Repent and submit. Repent and submit. Charles Spurgeon said, I've learned to bless the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. God God is working things according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Trust the Lord with it. Trust the Lord. And I'll say lastly, very lastly, The first thing you should do in trusting the Lord, the first step you should take is trust Him to take away your sins. Trust Him to take away your sins. Jesus has come to take them away. Jesus is the only true Savior. Now let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your your Word and these wonderful, rich, deep accounts of Your workings in people's lives, and we pray that You would help us, Lord. Increase our faith and trust in you. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together now.